0: Well, if you are uh, looking at the time today, you're probably realizing that um, Kevin's usually preaching for 20 minutes at this point. Um, and we are starting a new study today, an introduction to the Bible, that I have 30 minutes to do. <laughs> Which I'm just going to tell you right now, ain't going to happen. Um, it's impossible. In fact, <clears throat> the challenge before us is pretty, uh, pretty large. We, uh, as you know, are embarking upon a 13-week study of the foundations of the, the faith. And even to talk about any one of these things um, for 13 weeks um, would probably not be enough. And yet we're, we're packing in um, many, many different topics, from, uh, from how to study the Bible, to the work of Christ, to evangelism and the believer, to prayer, to knowing God's will. All these things will be covered over the next uh, 13 weeks. And I have uh, today to, um, to try as, my, as best I can to give you an introduction to the Bible um, and so what I've prepared um, is way more than we have to cover today. So I will uh, do what I can and then um, maybe perhaps save some for next week. I do want to encourage you to come back next week as we'll talk about how to study the Bible or how to know it. But today I want to jump into God's um, Word to look at it and to uh, get a basic introduction to it. But before we do, I think it's necessary to communicate the whole purpose of the whole study. Um we will certainly learn a lot about God. We're going to learn a lot of, of, of things through his word. But knowledge is not the end goal. Um, the purpose is not simply to, to give us knowledge. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. And um, I was reading the, the biggest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119, this week in preparation for today. And I think we should approach this study with the same end in mind that the psalmist had in Psalm 119, and you don't have to read it. I basically just picked out some excerpts, and I just want you to listen to what he says about God's word. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I thought about my ways, and I turned my feet to your testimonies. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. I cry out with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Psalm 119 elevates God's word to this this amazing level. His statutes, his testimonies, his precepts, his commands, his words are all uh, synonymous for scripture. And yes, the psalmist wanted knowledge of God, and we want knowledge of God, but not as an end in itself. He wanted to know God that he might enjoy God. I know and have seen a lot of Christians over the years who don't look like they enjoy much in life. They might know a lot about God, but it doesn't look like they know him and enjoy him. We should desire understanding so that our hearts will respond to God's truth and our lives will conform to it. I was reading a a book by J.I. Packard, it's an old book called Knowing a God, and he said this, to be preoccupied with getting theological knowledge as an end in itself— To approach Bible study with with no higher a motive than to to desire to know all the answers is the direct route to a state of self-satisfied self-deception. I don't want that for any of us. I I have often referred to people that I would say um, qualify in that category as smart sinners. (laughs) They have all the knowledge, they know all the answers, and yet somehow nothing has seemed to change their heart. Nothing has seemed to change how they live and how they love God. And so I want to pray today that we would ask the Holy Spirit to guard our hearts against such attitudes. Pray that we'll not merely gain knowledge through these 13 weeks about God, but that through this study, we will know God. That is the end. We want to to know him, have a relationship with him. J.I. Packer, again, he presented a way for us to do this, and I just want to give this to you maybe to enter into the study with this attitude. He says, it is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. What we should do is everything we learn through this 13 weeks of study, we should meditate on, we should chew on before God, and what the result should be is praise to him. And that's my hope for you, and I want to pray for that right now before we begin. God in heaven, we do uh, commit this study to you, these 13 weeks. Lord, you have guided us by your spirit to to, uh, choose these topics. Lord, these are the things we believe uh, you want us to teach your church, to, to learn with them, and I pray, Lord, that you would guard our hearts, that we would not just seek knowledge for knowledge's sake, but that what we are seeking through this study is to truly know God and to love him and to serve him and find joy in serving him. And so pray, Lord, that by your spirit, we would know these things. I pray that You, by your spirit, we would know you. We pray that your spirit today would guide us into your truth to that end. We love you. We just desire to know more of you intimately, personally. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, many men and women uh, throughout the centuries have embarked upon um, a quest to know God. I've uh, mentioned this in other studies before, that that's impossible. God exists outside of time and space. We are confined to time and space, and I don't care what kind of spiritual guru that person is, uh, you cannot know God. We're confined and we have no way to know anything about God without God first revealing himself to man. God must be the one to invade time and space. Man has no possibility whatsoever of gaining any knowledge of God on his own. And this is really the first point that uh, we should understand even just theologically that the Bible is the revelation of God. God must reveal himself to man. And you could sort of define revelation by this. It's an act of whereby God discloses um, to man what would otherwise be unknown to him. For us to know anything about God, it must come from God. You, you, You cannot ascend some high mountain and find some holy man that somehow on his own found God. That person is lying. They don't know God. The only way to know God is to have him reveal himself to us. And if God were not to reveal himself, man could not gain any knowledge whatsoever about him. And when you think about knowledge, men like knowledge. We we should uh, uh, pursue knowledge. But knowledge is just discovering and exploring and discerning and uh, interpreting what he discovers. I guess in, in its basic form, knowledge itself comes from God. Proverbs tells us that but knowledge in its own cannot bring you to God. God must reveal himself to you. And now as we talk about the revelation of God, there are two types of revelation. The first is general revelation. I know this is very basic for some of you, but what it means is that general revelation is just God revealed himself to man in a very general way. And really there are three ways. It's general in its means, meaning this, that that the primary means of general revelation is is what you see outside. Look out the window. It's creation. God has revealed himself in a general way through what he has made. And we learn that from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Let's look at it. I have it on the screen for you. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God's wrath is being revealed. It's being poured out upon men because they suppress something, something that they know. They suppress the truth because God has shown them something. What is that uh, something? We're shown, we're told here that it's the creation of the world that reveals God to man in a general way. We can know God exists through the creation of the world. But it's also general in its content. Notice this passage just tells us you can know something about his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his Godhead. Those are all qualities that just reference divine quality, okay? It's divine There's a God, we understand the concept of God. We cannot know God, we can only sort of get a general idea of God. You might understand that there has to be a being of great power to create everything you see, a being of great wisdom, a being of great creativity, but you cannot know God. Because it's just general in the content that is communicated to man, does that make sense? But it's also general in its effect. The revelation of God in a creation gives us no; uh, uh, it provides no ability. I say it this way: provides no ability to man to escape his wrath. Remember, the wrath of God is being poured out upon man because they suppress the truth. But it does nothing to save us from his wrath. To be saved from his wrath, we need something else. Notice the verse: it says, "They're without excuse." No one on the planet can say they they didn't know there wasn't a, there was a God. God has made it plain to them. He's communicated to them. Scripture tells us that they simply suppress that truth. In fact, God has made man aware of his uh, moral law as well. So we're even deeper in trouble. The Bible says that Romans, in Romans two fourteen to 15, it says, When Gentiles, those are non-Jews, who do not have the law, because obviously the Jews had the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. What he's saying here is that that people who were never given the law, like like the Jews were, still still have some kind of moral law written in their hearts because God has put it there; He's written it there. The earliest of civilizations. Uh, you can look at how they lived, and they had some sort of moral code they operated by. Maybe it wasn't the exact same moral code we understand today, but they had a sense of right and wrong, the difference between good and evil, and that's because the law is written on their hearts, and so we can know God in some very general things, but we can't really know him through what he has revealed to mankind, and through what's been written on our hearts. He has to reveal himself to us in a special way, and he did. And that's called special revelation. So you have general revelation, and you have special revelation. And this would fall under that category of special revelation. God had to reveal himself to mankind, which means he had to invade time and space. He had to come into creation to reveal himself, and that is a special revelation. As you read the Bible, you find many of those special revelations. Theophanies are in the Bible. This is God appearing to and speaking to men, Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob and and Moses. These are those accounts that you, you read of. He spoke in dreams and in visions. You think back to Jacob in his dream of Jacob's ladder and the angels are ascending and descending. God was communicating to him in a very specific way. You think of the dreams of Daniel or the dreams given to Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel translated and interpreted. Incredible dreams that prophesied about the future. That's God revealing himself in a special way. And in miracles and in signs, you think of all the supernatural things that the Bible mentions that took place. Even going back to the flood, people want to discount the flood, but the flood happened. A a global flood, that was a miracle because it never rained before. That was God bringing that upon mankind because his wrath was being poured out. God appearing in the burning bush to Moses or the plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, God revealing himself in a special way especially to men the prophets in the the bible god revealed himself to them gave him his word and they spoke on behalf of god and ultimately in the new testament god is revealed more fully through his son jesus christ who's the express image of his person but the bible here records all these things all these things are in the bible therefore the bible is special revelation it is god revealing himself more fully than he does in general revelation in the creation now the Bible does not reveal everything about God. There are always questions about well, what about this or, what about that. Well, we don't know everything about God, but what God has revealed, he deems that that's enough for us to know. What he has revealed to us is all man needs to know about him for life and righteousness, for salvation. We have to be okay with that. I've heard many people say over the years, it's not what the Bible says, it's what it doesn't say. Wrong. It is what it says. And what it says is very clear and we'll look at that in a bit now because the bible is god's written revelation of himself then then we have to understand that what it says is of extreme importance and this is the reason why the words of god are in the bible the very words of god the bible is the word of god in fact that's why most often i refer to it as the word of god not bible because bible is just means it means book it's biblion but actually, the Bible is the word of God. And I'm going to take you to Hebrews chapter 1. If you'll turn in your Bibles there um, really briefly to look at verse 1. Maybe sometime we'll, we'll look at studying the book of Hebrews. <laughs> just joking. We just finished the study of the book of Hebrews. But uh, chapter 1, verse 1, was a long time ago, about a year and a half ago. And I want to remind you of what it says here. It says this in verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways, what? What? spoke He spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets that right there is the essence of revelation In fact the sermon I gave for that verse was called the revelation of God It's the essence of revelation for God to reveal himself in this special way God must speak and he spoke We're told that he spoke and he spoke in times past to uh, The fathers by the prophets and we're told that he did this in various times palumeros which actually means in many portions of time and portions of Scripture. You think about all the men that he appeared to and spoke to, and they wrote it down during their time. And so we have the men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob during their time. He spoke to them in times past. But I want to remind you of how he spoke to many of these men. I want you to think about Moses in Exodus 4, 12. Remember, Moses was making excuses as to why he he can't go and talk to Pharaoh, but this is what God says to give him confidence. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I'm gonna be with your mouth. Now, that's what a prophet was. That's the role of a prophet. A prophet spoke to man on behalf of God. That's the difference between the prophet and the priest. The priest spoke to God on behalf of men. But the prophet was given the very words of God, and that's what Moses was told. I'm going to be, not in your mind, I'm going to be with your mouth, and I'm going to teach you exactly what to say. Yet when you read the account, nowhere do you have, uh, uh, you know, God sitting back in a lounge chair and, uh, all right, to Moses, I want you to write every word I'm going to say. And it's, 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 that's not how it works. So we're going to look at inspiration in a bit. But he spoke to Moses and said, I'm going to be with your mouth. And that's what he communicates to each of the prophets as you read through them. You might see this in Jeremiah 1:9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. We see the same thing with Ezekiel in chapter 2. He said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and he set my, me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. So Ezekiel's telling us how how he got what his, his message. It was God speaking to me. And then we learn um, what it was God said in verse seven. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they're rebellious. Here's your role as a prophet. I'm gonna give you the words and you just speak those words, but they may not hear. They might be rebellious. And, and Jeremiah had that, that ministry as well. God even spoke through false prophets. There were false prophets in the Bible. You remember Balaam? The king Balak uh, wanted Balaam, the prophet, to curse the children of Israel as they were passing through the land. And and four times he asks uh, Balaam to do it, and every time Balaam blesses them instead of curses them. And so the king is just furious. What are you doing? Here's here's Balaam's response to, to him. He says, Balaam said to Balak in Numbers 22, look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. That was the job of the prophet they spoke the words of God. Over and over and over again, as you read the Bible, you find out these men, these men had the very words of God. And that's what they spoke. And they spoke nothing else. They didn't give opinion. They didn't give their own preferences. They spoke the word of God. And even as you continue on, you go back, uh, well, you start at the beginning, you go back and uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all that. And then you have the beginning of history and the first king of Israel, King Saul. King Saul was given a command at one point. He was to go in and wipe out the Amalekites. He was not to take plunder for himself. He was to kill the king. And yet he didn't do that. He, he took the plunder and he kept the king alive. And so the prophet at that time, Samuel, has to go to him. This is what he says to uh, King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Saul's problem was that he just didn't obey God's word. It was about his word. And so all through the Bible, his word is is coming uh, to these men, and these men are communicating God's word, and they're meant to obey his word. So this record goes all the way uh, through the Old Testament, speaking at various times. That's what Hebrews 1 is talking about, all these various times. And so we end up with 39 books, all written at different uh, times. But also, we're told in various ways in, in chapter 1 there. Not just various times, but various ways. It means many manners. And certainly when you look at that, we see there were visions and there were dreams and there were theophanies, but also some of the things we talked about in Hebrews types and symbols. Those were various ways. The Old Testament is the revelation of God to man, and He did it primarily by speaking to man. And when He spoke, they wrote it down. And even when they wrote it down, those were various ways. When you read the Bible, you have. Narrative, you have law, you have hymns and songs, you have love songs, even you have poetry, you have wisdom, you have all of these different ways, various ways that God spoke. That's how He spoke in times past. That's Hebrews 1 1. But look at Hebrews 1 2. He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He's appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the worlds. So God speaks differently. In the New Testament, now he speaks to us through his son and Jesus. According to verse three, is the express image of his person. God uh, reveals himself more fully through the person of Jesus Christ. So when we look at the life of Christ, his life, his his words, his miracles, his character, his example, all those things further reveal God to us. Everything Jesus did, he did at the command of the Father. So all those things communicate further to mankind about God revealing himself to us. In John chapter 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this, for I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak so everything jesus said he's saying was directly from god so uh, people say sometimes that the god of the old testament they read the old testament the god of the old testament is a is a different god from the god of the new testament well jesus right here says that everything i speak are the actual words of the father it's not a different god he's speaking the same things he's speaking in the new testament he's speaking through his son And to Jesus, on the night in which, uh, before he was about to be uh, hung on that cross, he knew he was going to leave his disciples. He told them, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I don't want you to be alone. And so he promised them a helper. And in John 14, 26, we're told what that helper is going to do. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit was to come to these disciples and remind them of everything. That was the primary function of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples, to remind them of Jesus's words. Why? Because they're the words of God. So important. He went on to say in John chapter 16, verses 12 to 13, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. This is actually really incredible. This is amazing what he says here. He says, not only was the Holy Spirit to remind them of everything that Jesus said while he was there, but the Holy Spirit also was going to guide them into truth and teach them more things that Jesus didn't say. Things that Jesus didn't think they were quite ready to hear. He says, you cannot bear things, but I'll send the helper and he'll communicate those things to you. That's incredible. That's the New Testament, the job of the Holy Spirit, to guide the writers into truth. He was to teach them the things that Jesus said, and and that's exactly what happens. You read about it in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes, he empowers the disciples to remember all the uh, things that Jesus said, and even things to come, and John writes about those things. Even those writers of the New Testament who were not originally a part of the 12 disciples like, like Paul we're told that they were guided into the truth of the Holy Spirit by the by the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, Paul is converted on the road to Damascus. Remember that he's 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 blind from the experience, and he's led into the city to meet a man, Ananias. And in Acts chapter 22, Paul is recounting the whole event, and this is what he says. Um, Ananias said to him in Acts 22:14. Then he said, "The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know His will." and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. Paul saw the resurrected Christ, and Ananias says, you were chosen so you would hear his voice. Why did he need to hear the voice? Because what Jesus told him was the very words of God. The Holy Spirit coming after the life of Jesus was to guide the writers into truth. And so Paul writes most of the New Testament, and we can know right here that that is all the, the, the words of God. It's, it's coming straight from uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit. So later, when Paul begins writing his epistles, he could testify that they were given to him, in fact, by the Spirit. And you read about that in 1 Corinthians 2. This is a great passage in verses 10 to 13. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So it was, it was in this way that the New Testament was written down through the Holy Spirit, guiding men into truth. And all, then all of the, 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 the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all of it is the word of God. Remember in the New Testament when Jesus, right before he began his public ministry, goes into the wilderness to fast. And when he's in the wilderness fasting, Satan comes to tempt him. He wants him to turn some stones into bread. And what does Jesus say to him? Some very, very famous words in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered and said, it's written, so he says, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What Jesus does there is pretty remarkable. He actually is quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8.3. What's happening in Deuteronomy? It's actually my reading this morning. In Deuteronomy 8.3, it's the next generation of Israelites about to cross into the promised land, and Moses is reminding them of what God did to their fathers in the wilderness those 40 years. He said, remember, he he made you wander for 40 years. He fed you manna. Why did he do all that? So that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was training them from the beginning. You've got to listen to his words. His words are life. That's how man really lives. And Jesus quotes that, which means he says that is scripture. And in that response, Jesus quoting that scripture, the words Jesus himself speaking here are also the words of God in the New Testament. Amazing. So when we read the Bible, here's what you have to understand: we are not reading the thoughts and opinions of some really holy men. These these were not spiritual geniuses; they were not great philosophers uh, at all. I mean, some of these guys were numpties. Okay, they're fishermen. The Holy Spirit guided them into truth, and every word is the word of God. And so, there's four things I want you to understand. Um, before we get to talking about the writing of God, and maybe we won't have time for that, but we'll see here. But um, when we talk about all of these things, there are four characteristics that really sort of um, highlight the Bible for us. And the first is authority. Uh, I talked about this when we talked about the uh, the authority of pastors. We we don't, you know, I don't have an authority as elder. Uh, The authority is God's word. We're under the authority of God's word, but we bring the authority of God's word to bear in the lives of his people. Uh, its authority. And since all the words in Scripture are God's words, then to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture, what does that mean? That means that you disbelieve or disobey the words of God. And that is a serious, serious thing. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. He said, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you— are the commandments of the Lord. Isn't it interesting today? With so many people claiming to be prophets and claim to be super spiritual gurus, and yet they won't listen to Paul. What does Paul say there? Well, I don't care what you think about yourself. I want to remind you, I'm under the authority of God. God has given me his words, and I speak his commands. So if you reject the words of Paul, you're actually not rejecting Paul, you're rejecting God. And that's a serious thing. So, this is what sets the Bible above all other religious books. Uh, No other religious book has the authority that God's Word has because, well, it's the words of Almighty God. No other religious book actually contains the words of God. That's a bold thing to say, I I know, but God did not reveal Himself through the Bible and also the Koran. God revealed Himself through His Word, the Bible. And in no other way, all other religious works are actually the thoughts of men. And so men are led astray because of that. And so the Bible is the most important uh, uh, book there is. But it's not important because of that word Bible, as I mentioned before, that just means it's Biblion. It just means book or scroll. It's important because of the word that's before Bible, at least on mine, and that is holy. There are no other holy books. This is the only holy book. Holy means to be set apart. It means to be distinct in a class all by itself. You cannot put this on the same shelf as the Quran and say, yeah, they're pretty much the same thing. Absolutely not. It is the holy Bible and it is holy because it contains the very words of your creator. And yet how sad is it that many Bibles sit on shelves collecting dust, not opened, not read, and yet they contain His words. Another thing you have to understand when we study Scripture is that God did not write anything to sort of uh, hoodwink you, uh, to lead you astray, to make things sort of mystifying and confusing. So I hope you can figure it out. I hope you can find me. That is not what He did. When we read Scripture, we find out quite the opposite. In fact, Numbers 23 19 says, God is not a man that He should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Meaning this, when God speaks, he speaks with truth and he speaks with accuracy. And so the second characteristic, and maybe you've heard of this word before, is inerrancy. We believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Now, in its basic form, what that means is that in the original manuscripts, and yes, we don't have the original manuscripts today, Uh, We have copies of the original, but we have more copies, and those copies are closer in in terms of the time span in which they are written to the original than any other document of antiquity on the planet. But in the original documents, God's Word is clear. uh, It's written um, absolutely, fully, completely intact, and it never, never affirms anything that is contrary to fact. You don't read the Bible and say, oh, well, they got that wrong. For instance, when they said the sun stood still, people say, well, that just couldn't happen. That obviously was just an exaggeration of events. Well, no, because it's the words of God, and he's telling us exactly what happened. And that goes all the way back to creation. I think that's where people go wrong in the first place with creation, because they don't want to take God's word as it stands. So inerrancy, in other words, is about, simply put, the truthfulness of Scripture. When you read the Bible, you must understand that what God's word says is truth. It's not just true, it's truth. It's the source of truth. You want to know truth, you go to the Bible. That's where you must begin. It's truthful in the facts of events and people and history and times and places. And it freely uses ordinary language that we use today, ordinary, everyday usage uh, that is not meant to communicate something that's contrary to truth, and that leads people astray sometimes as well. Um, We were all on the beach just uh, uh, this last week, and we were all looking at the beautiful sunset. I didn't hear one person say, oh, look at that beautiful earth rotation. (laughs) Yet the Bible speaks the same way. It speaks of the sun setting, and people go, oh, well, obviously the Bible got it wrong because it didn't know uh, that the earth rotates. Um, No, the Bible uses everyday normal language as we do today, and it speaks without error Every single time. and never communicates something false. The third characteristic you have to understand is clarity. The clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that the the teachings are able to be understood by the simple. And I love that because that's me right here. Okay? Those who read it seeking God's help, truly wanting to know Him, truly wanting to find Him, have no problem at all understanding Scripture. In Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It makes wise, simple people. And, you know, um, many times Jesus encountered uh, men and, and he said, have you not read? You come across those passages. Have you not read the scriptures? In fact, one time he says, oh, no, you, you don't know. You, you got that wrong because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. He always brings it back. To that, But you know what you never find Jesus doing? You never find him going, oh, yeah, I see why you were confused by that one. That is a tricky passage. It is quite confusing. It's not really clear. Let me straighten it out for you. What does he say? Haven't you read? Why? They don't really want to know the truth. If you want to know the truth, you're truly seeking God. When you open these pages, guess what? It's absolutely clear. Now, that's not to say that there aren't difficult passages as you grow and you dig deeper but the basic simple message of scripture is absolutely 100 clear otherwise you wouldn't have men like mark twain who was a skeptic saying things like it's not what i don't understand about the bible that bothers me it's what i do understand oh you you understand the message very very clearly people just don't like the message it's clear it has clarity. One final characteristic I want to give you, and that's necessity. And we really, we kind of hit on this before. I told you that without the Bible, man can only know that God exists. Um, we, we can gain insight as to his character, maybe his, his moral laws. But without the Bible, we can't know him. And we also, more importantly, cannot know salvation. We cannot know how to escape his wrath, which is coming against the ungodliness of men, the unrighteousness of men, we're told. We can't know the gospel, and so we can't know salvation. So would you say this book is important? Absolutely. We need special revelation from God, and I'm so glad that he gave us special revelation. One final word I'm gonna give you here, and, um, and uh, I don't have a bullet point for this, but you need to consider these, these truths and consider then how did God get men to write all these things uh, down? How did that happen? And people often ask that. Okay, if men wrote the Bible... Human beings wrote the Bible, but they're God's words. What's the process? The process is this word, inspiration. Inspiration. If you want to know how to spell that, well, you can look at the uh, scripture I'm going to give you. It was read, uh, read earlier today, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here's what you have to understand about this uh, passage. There is a uh, given by inspiration of God. Five words there are actually two words in the Greek. All right, the two words there for inspiration are theos, which is God, and neo, which is to breathe. And so the word literally means this, God breathed. Inspiration does not carry with it the way we often speak of inspiration. We see some courageous uh, act and we go, oh, that really inspired me, right? That's not inspiring. That they, they, these men were not inspired by the religious devotion of others. That's not inspiration. Biblical inspiration is simply this. The words were breathed out by God. Now, that's, that's mind-boggling to think that men wrote it, men penned it, and yet it was still God breathing out the words. How does that happen? They're not inspired by man. They're inspired by God. So how does he do that? Well, there's a second passage I need to take you to, and that's 2 Peter 1, 20-21. He says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, this verse speaks about first about prophecy. Prophecy is used in a very generic sense here. It just means message. It's not just talking about foretelling. Okay, it's forth telling. It is the message of Scripture. He says, no message of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Two words I need to point out in this passage. The first is interpretation. That word is epileusis. That word means to loose or to release. That's what interpretation means. It doesn't have any kind of sense about interpreting the meaning. That is not what uh, Peter has uh, in mind at all. Peter's speaking about the origination of Scripture. It does not originate in the mind of man. It wasn't in there, and then man just released it. It's not of any private releasing, is how you could say it. In fact, look at the verse again. He says, um, uh, because he goes on to say, prophecy never came by the will of man. It never came by the will. So Scripture does not originate with man. It doesn't come by uh, their own releasing, and they didn't will themselves to say it. So how does it come about? Well, another part of that verse. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Two words are underlined in this passage uh, for you. Came and moved. They're both the same verb in the Greek. They both mean the same thing. Pharaoh is the word, and it means to bear and to carry along, to convey, to produce, to bring forth, to, to bring along. We're told here that no message of Scripture was born, carried along, conveyed, produced by the thought, uh, by the will of, of man. But, but, notice it, holy men of God were the ones who were carried along, who were conveyed, brought forth by the, by the Holy Spirit, do you see that? It was the Holy Spirit literally bearing them, carrying them along, bringing forth the word of God. This means this is miraculous, that, that, that doesn't happen. Every word of God was given to men by the Holy Spirit. God used the men to write the words. He used their personalities. He used those for certain. I mean, you can tell the difference between reading Paul's writings uh, from, from Peter or John. The personalities come out in those things. He used their, their insight. He used their, their experiences and their perceptions. But every single word is the word of God. That is an incredible thing, and that means it's miraculous. And so what do we end up with? We end up with uh, 66 books. 66 books written for us to, to, um, to, to basically to understand everything God wants us to know. 66 books. This is everything. Yet I find so often people want to know, well, it's what he didn't say. I wish there was more. And that might lead us to some discussions that I plan to have and won't have today. We'll have to kind of tag it on to next week. About... Other books. Weren't there other books that were written that are the words of God, but that were left out? After all, the Catholic Bible has some other books, and maybe we should have those books. Maybe there. Well, we'll talk about that next week to see if that's actually the case. We'll talk about that when we look at the canonization of a Scripture. But I'm going to fast forward to the end just to bring you to um, one point, and that is uh, this. Turn to your table of contents really briefly here. Now, generally, when we've done these things before, this is a big part of um, the introduction to the Bible. We look at the books and we kind of categorize them for you and all that. And I just wasn't gonna touch that today. But here's what I do wanna do. Is I want you to just look at the, your table of contents. All those books that you see listed there, all those books contain the written words of God. But also, more importantly, what you should see when you see all those books, um, you should see Christ. Everything you're looking at right now tells us about Jesus. Those first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books of the law, that tells us the promises of Christ. The next 34 books in your Old Testament, you have 12 historical books, you have five poetical books, you have 17 prophetic books, but all of those things are anticipation of Christ. So the promises of Christ and the anticipation of Christ, and, and we get that through types and we get that through experiences and, and prophecies. All of those things build up an anticipation for Christ. You get to the New Testament, what do you have? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have the four gospels, and that's certainly the manifestation of Christ. Christ comes. The anticipation before us, Christ comes. He's manifested before us. And then you have the book of Acts, and you have the 21 letters, which all tell us about the church of Christ. And what does it end with? It ends with the book of Revelation, where Christ is really, it's the unveiling of Christ, isn't it? But not just his unveiling, it's his coronation. It's the coronation of Christ. The king has come. And so I want to leave you today with this understanding that when you read the Bible, it's not a different God in the Old Testament from the New. It's not a different message from the Old Testament from the New. It's all one message. It's all one message centered around this whole amazing idea that God's wrath that's being poured out against men because of the truth that they suppress actually can be averted because he is going to send this Christ this Messiah, who will die for mankind. And if you place your faith and trust in him, then you will not know the wrath of God. Instead, you'll know forgiveness of sins and life eternal. That's the message of the Bible. I'm gonna close with Psalm 19:7. I looked at it earlier, but verses seven to eight, just look at these, um, these verses and see everything that's in here. It says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So the law, God's word, restores our soul. So many soulless people needing healing today, and yet you know where the healing is found? In God's word. That's what the law of God does. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. There that is again. God's wisdom is imparted upon the simple, probably all of us included in that. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It gives joy to the heart. How many unpeople in this world? How much joylessness is there in this world? when joy can be found through his word. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Hopefully, when you read scripture, you are enlightened. You are given light. The God of this this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But when the words of God are open and we read them, light comes to us. We're told that Jesus was that light. And certainly that light brings to us salvation. So I want to encourage you, Don't neglect the study of the Bible. It's not just, I need to read some pages because apparently Kevin says it's a good thing to do. Uh, Apparently that puts me in good standing before God. I don't care about any of that. This is how you know God. Read it and you will know him. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word to us today. And Lord, we just trust that what was said today was what your Holy Spirit intended. And Lord, we'll just look at capping off some of the things we meant to say today to next week pray that your people will return as we look uh, on how to study your word, how to, how to know it more deeply, Lord. I pray that you would just prepare your people's hearts for all these things that we're going to be studying this, this uh, summer. What a joy it is, Lord, to, to have your word, to know you through it. And I praise, pray that you would help us to remember that uh, through you are the words of life that was declared. You, you, you bring life, and I pray that we would not neglect your word. We love you. We praise you. We pray that you would continue to receive the glory due your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please, and we'll sing a closing song.